the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. I think of you sometime, and I want to spend some time with you. Just the two. Good morning. I am your guest host for the day, Amala Epinobi from PragerU. Dennis is not here, uh, but he sends his best regards, of course. It's an interesting time, you all. I, I've guest hosted this show quite a few times, so I feel as though you guys know me. But for a quick introduction, I'm Amala Epinobi. I am 22 years old. I'm currently working at PragerU, hosting a show called Unapologetic Live, where we talk through pop culture, trending topics, and just daily news from a youthful Gen Z perspective, as I am a youthful member of Gen Z. So we try to tackle all of the incoming ups and downs of the news cycle, but do so in a way that people can watch the show and hopefully leave not necessarily feeling good about the state of the world, but feeling like they've learned something and had a fun time. That's how I try to approach these issues. I myself am a former radical leftist who saw the light and realized that leftism was not for me. And now here I am hosting the Dennis Prager Show. I would have never thought <laughs> this would be my life and where I would be at 22. But let's talk about the news of the world today. We are sitting in the month of June. It's currently Tuesday, June 6th, which means it's Pride Month, baby! I know you are all very excited about Pride Month. You are all waiting for June to start so that you could celebrate everything that is happening right now within the LGBTQ community, and I'm right there with you. <laughs> Let's talk about Pride Month. You know, the month of June was chosen for this grand celebration because they wanted to choose a month to commemorate and honor the 1969 Stonewall Uprising in Manhattan, which was, I guess, what we call a tipping point for the gay liberation movement here in the United States of America. So now every year when June rolls around, we go and talk about pride and all of our companies and corporations' virtue signal to the LGBTQ community and let us know that they're accepting of all walks of lives and backgrounds, which, you know what, I get it, okay? It, it feels good to say you are on uh, the, the supposed right side of history. It feels good to let people know what your morals and values are. But I'm going to be honest, I'm tired of it, y'all. <laughs> I think I've seen enough. I think we understand how these companies and corporations feel. Honestly, I think we understand how uh, many people are accepting of this lifestyle, and it's fine. I myself don't see all, all that much of a problem with how people choose to live their lives, especially if they're a 
adults. Where I really move into these movements is when it starts affecting the lives of children, which we are going to cover some stories in this hour that really reference the movements that are happening with young children as far as the LGBTQ plus crowd is concerned. I'm losing track of how many letters are now in this acronym. But when Pride Month rolls around every year in June, we get the parades and the parties and the rainbow flags. Uh, it's probably no coincidence we let in the show with I got those rainbows in my mind. <laughs> because I think that's what everybody has uh, this month. When I was a kid, being raised in a far left household, you'd guess I was brought to a pride parade as a young person. I grew up in central Florida near Orlando, and every year Orlando hosts a massive pride parade with all of the floats and the balloons and the rainbows and the drag queens and the men wearing little to no clothing. And I, as a young person in my probably early teens, would go to these pride parades because my mother happened to be a left-leaning activist, so many of the organizations that she was working with were present at these pride parades supporting their campaigns and their agenda. Now, as a kid, I was happy to be anywhere where rainbows and balloons were involved and people were throwing candy from floats. It's only in retrospect that I look back at it and think, maybe young people should not be at these events. Maybe they are not family friendly. And I'll tell you a distinct memory that I have of being at a pride parade at that ripe young age. We went, we're of course sitting on the side of the road in our little unfolded chairs that we uh, sit in when the parades go by and they're throwing out candy. And of course, as a kid, you're running to the street, you're picking up everything that they're throwing, they're throwing necklaces, you're putting them on your neck. I remember going to the street and men were throwing out, let's say, protective gear for when you engage in physical activity with somebody. That's what we'll call that. I don't know if I can say the word on, on the radio. And I picked this up as a kid and I go, what is this? And had these in my hand because this is what they were throwing out at this family-friendly pride event. Think about that. Isn't that insane? Now, of course, pride is now marketed as this wonderful thing that people of all ages should go to. And I'll say, if you're an adult and this is how you want to spend a Saturday morning, by all means, go out and do that. But to subject young children to that sort of environment is at the very least questionable. And some of the things that you see adults engaging in while they are celebrating their pride at these events, uh, quite frankly, are heinous, not only for kids, but for adults to be watching. There's a video circulating on the internet of LA Pride, which has happened recently in a parade that they put on. And there are men in essentially lingerie dancing around on these parade um, these parade floats, you know, moving down the street in front of young children's eyes. And I just would have never thought that we would live in a world where this is championed. I may have thought we'd live in a world where this would happen because we're in a hypersexualized society that is congratulating, glamorizing, and fetishizing these things. But 
to see it celebrated and defended in the front of young eyes is just a whole nother level for me. But that is what this month entails. And it's so interesting to watch the switch and the script just flip the second that June 1st hits. All these companies that immediately change their profile pictures to rainbows, they start spouting the woke orthodoxy. UN Women, which is the United Nations, I guess, sub-organization or subgroup for women's equality, tweeted out the other day that toys have no gender. <laughs> this is the massive campaign they're taking on in the wake of it being Pride Month. And you see this everywhere. Target now has their Pride collection, which we're going to get to. Levi's published a commercial where they have a woman dressed like a man and a man dressed like a woman, and they're talking about how they're celebrating their gender expression. Glamour UK put out a magazine where the front page showed a pregnant woman that looked a whole awful lot like a man claiming that trans men can get pregnant. Even gave them a full you know, journal writing about how men can now get pregnant in today's society, and this is something that we need to accept. So this is what you have to look forward to, because we've decided to break ourselves down into communities that mean absolutely nothing. And every time I see that acronym, what is it? 2SLGBTQIA+. <laughs> you might as well just say the alphabet. <laughs> you, you might as well sing the alphabet song at this point. But whenever I see that acronym, I'm thinking, who decided to lump all of these people together based on such a superficial characteristic? Simply because you express your sexuality in a way that is different to being heterosexual, you now get to be lumped together as a group of people who all think the same way and who all have the same agenda. You know it's wrong. You know it doesn't make sense. And what has been really profound for me is to hear from gay, lesbian, bisexual people who are starting to speak up and say, you know what? I don't agree with this. I might be G or L, but I don't identify as a part of this LGBTQ plus community. And I did an interview with a friend of mine. His name is Amir Odom, and he happens to be a right-leaning gay man. You can check out that interview on my YouTube page, Unapologetic Live. And he talks about this push to have everybody be a part of this community that he doesn't feel he's a part of. The woke agenda and the woke ideology and orthodoxy that they're pushing, he does not relate to in any way, shape, or form. And I think we're going to see more of that as our Pride Month rolls out and things get more extreme and more radical and we start seeing less clothing on people who are dancing in the street in front of children. And I can't wait for people to wake up and do something about it. Again, you can check out that interview with Amir Odom by going to my YouTube channel, Unapologetic Live. It is really profound to hear it from, I, I guess, the horse's mouth. So check it out, youtube.com. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a small retail business almost $80,000. 
COVIDTaxRelief.org got a manufacturing business nearly $250,000. And COVIDTaxRelief.org just got a large distribution business almost $900,000. If you run a business, church, or nonprofit and paid your employees through all or part of the pandemic, you could qualify for up to $26,000 per employee through the government's CARES Act. But beware of clickbait or pay-up-front companies that make you do the work and take a huge percentage of your refund. COVIDTaxRelief.org receives a low, reasonable commission only after you receive your refund. And with 300 CPAs and tax experts, no one is better at getting you the maximum benefit than COVIDTaxRelief.org. Visit COVIDTaxRelief.org now because this plan expires soon. That's COVIDTaxRelief.org, COVIDTaxRelief.org. Refund examples are not a guarantee and not all businesses qualify. All right, we are back. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Amala Epinobi from PragerU. We've been discussing Pride Month and a number of things we have going on this month in order to honor LGBTQIA2S people, (laughs) Uh, which is just what we we do these days. I want to talk about some changes that are being made to language. This is always pretty important. You've probably recognized over the past, I don't know, five, ten years, language has shifted and changed in, in ways that I think we've We've yet to really see and talk about in, in, in more profound ways because language is a powerful thing. If you can switch language and the way people speak, you can perpetuate lies. You can perpetuate a whole new narrative. And as our younger generations grow up, they don't know any other way of speaking. They don't know uh, any other way of referencing some of the issues that we are watching happen right now. And we have an interesting article published by DailySignal.com titled Orwellian Associated Press Forbids Even Discussing Transgenderism as an Ideology. Now it says, forget debates over bathrooms or pronouns. The Associated Press recently released new guidelines suppressing the very concept of transgenderism as an ideology that can be debated while forcing that ideology on reporters in the name of promoting journalism. For those of you who don't know what the Associated Press is, or AP as it is often referred to, the Associated Press is the most common style book among journalists and news outlets on the left and right, including the Daily Signal. Uh, Now, the Daily Signal states that they do often depart from the AP style when the style is forcing them to adopt certain ideological messaging on any given issue. But the AP style guide has decided to make clear that you should not, quote, use the term transgenderism, which frames transgender identity as an ideology. So... If you write a paper and you use the word transgenderism, the ism in that word, somehow insinuating that you are referring to an ideology, which would be true, transgenderism is an ideology, the AP style guide is going to mark you down for that and you will not have met their standards because they don't want the transgender identity to be framed as an ideology. Which is so interesting, because if you read further into the AP style guide about how you should write articles and essays, it says, quote, avoid references to a transgender person being born a boy or girl or phrasing like birth gender. 
the guide urges, sex assigned at birth is the accurate terminology. <laughs> the document goes on to claim that sex is usually assigned at birth by parents or attendants, sometimes inaccurately. So, in, on one hand, they are saying, do not use the term transgenderism. Because transgenderism is not an ideology; it is simply the way that these individuals were born. But on the other hand, it is giving you direct ideological actions to take when you are writing your articles and essays. Why is it that you cannot refer to a transgender person as being born a boy or girl, or things like birth gender? Must we deny objective truth? You know, a lot of people debate back and forth: is truth subjective? Is it objective? I think, for the most part, we should all be able to agree that you are born with a certain sex. Now, if you go on to get sex reassignment surgery and hormone replacement and puberty blockers and all of these things, there's an argument to be made, and more than likely, that argument will be made on the left that sex can be changed. Now, I don't agree with that argument, but at least you have some basis for making it. We all know that you are born <laughs> a boy or a girl, and that you do, in fact, not have a birth gender, as that word has been co-opted by the left-leaning agenda. You have a birth sex, and sex is, in fact, not something that is assigned at birth. It is observed at birth. That's what's happening. Your your baby is born. The doctor looks and goes. You know what? Looks like a girl to me. Looks like a boy to me. And in fact, if we check the chromosomes, I'm sure we would be able to deduce what sex your child is. But the Associated Press will not allow this. And here's why this is important. the The article details, of course, that this is. A style guide that is used by both right and left-leaning publications. AP style is often used in colleges and universities, even high schools, where they're telling kids, "You're going to write an essay on a certain topic. We would like to see it in AP style or adherent to the AP style guide." Now, if kids are going through, and young people and journalists are going through and reading this AP style guide, and then they are in fact writing essays. Journals that are eventually published, news articles that adhere to these rules, you can essentially rewrite reality, and enough people will read those articles. Even though many people aren't reading the whole articles these days, let's be real—they're just reading the headlines. But if they go on to read these articles, the lie becomes truth, and that's what's happening from a top-down perspective. And we're going to get deeper into the hierarchy. Of individuals who are not even suggesting these beliefs anymore, forcing these beliefs on people and having them adhere to what they think their reality and what their worldview is, and it becomes greatly concerning, especially when young people are going to be the ones bearing the brunt of this. It is young people who are going to be convinced that transgenderism is simple objectivity and not an ideology and not a mental affliction that people are dealing with. We saw this also happen with what the DSM five, where. Transgenderism and gender dysphoria was once labeled as a mental affliction, an illness, and a disorder, and that was then changed. 
right? And changed because of political activism, because there was enough people who were loudly saying, this is not a disorder, this is not an illness, and our medical professionals, the people who are meant to be able to trust with your health and wellness, decided to cower to activism. So much so that if you are a doctor or medical practitioner right now who tries to say something about this and say, you know what, maybe it should be categorized as an affliction or a disorder. Maybe there's a different route of treatment for gender dysphoria than just blind gender affirmation and pushing people down sex reassignment surgery. You are ousted and exiled from your community. This is the reality. This is why it's a problem that the Associated Press is changing words like this. Now, you either bring them to task and say, no, you don't do this, you don't make this change, put it back to the way it was, or you stop giving them the authority to be able to create a style guide that journalists and university students and young people in school are adherent to. Who says that they are the ultimate authority on what you write in your journals and in your articles and in your essays? Let's get them out of there. <laughs> Stop using the AP style guide if this is what they're going to do. If you want to read more about this or hear more about this, go to PragerU.com. Welcome back, everybody. Good morning. I am your sit-in host, Amala Epinobi from PragerU. We've been talking about pride this hour, and a hot topic that's been on everybody's mind is Target. Uh, they've recently put out a pride collection, which they do every year. I, I will state that. This is not new for Target as a company. I think now people are just hypersensitive to these topics, and Target is now in the crossfires for that because they've put out their annual pride collection although this one's a bit larger than uh than usual probably because there's more of a market to be found when it comes to pride they put out shirts that said queer 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 on the front a big green jumpsuit with yellow letters on the back that say yay <laughs> which is so interesting because all of the gay people that i know and that I'm friends with are fashionable. And I don't think that they would be shopping at Target's Pride collection, but nonetheless, uh, it is out and people are upset about it. It started somewhat of a boycott where people said they are going to stop shopping at Target and they're not going to support this Pride collection. I personally, of course, acknowledge that they have every right as a company to put out this collection if that is what they want to do. Will I be shopping there or will I be buying from this collection? No, I will not. And I don't take this stance from a religious perspective because I don't have happen to be a religious person, I just take the stance that, first, this is not something that we need to be focusing on. I don't care uh, what somebody's sexuality is, and I certainly don't need companies to sell t-shirts proclaiming what that sexuality is. We live in a hypersexualized society where there is far too much focus on what people are doing in, in their own homes, and it's all over the internet, and people are constantly talking about it. And thirdly, it's not something that I want to see around children. And a lot of the fire that they got was for having children's-based costumes and rainbow and pride-based outfits for young kids to wear. Not a conversation that I will be having with my future children at the young age where they are wearing some of the sizes that Target has put out. Now, let's talk about why this is important. A lot of left-leaning people 
retort back and say, oh, it doesn't matter. You can still shop at Target. Just don't buy the Pride collection. Why do you care? One, we care because of the ideology. Two, we care because the, the sales of these products comes to tangible effects on our communities and different campaigns that are being run within our communities. And I want to talk about this this tweet that was put out by Ollie London that says, Target's vice president of brand management has been revealed as the treasurer and board member of an LGBTQI plus charity that received $2.1 million in funding from Target. The charity, which received the multi-million dollar donation, GLSEN, encourages teachers to hide the gender identities of trans and non-binary students from their parents. Target's VP of Brand Management, Carlos Saavedra, is currently serving as the treasurer and board member of the organization, which also provides instructions to schools on making math class, quote, more inclusive of trans and non-binary identities, end quote. I don't know what that means, making math more inclusive for trans and non-binary people. I'll let you guys use your imaginations to figure that out. But when you support a company like Target, who actively puts out these pride collections, a piece of your money could be going towards a $2.1 million donation to an organization by the name of GLSEN. And if you go on the glsen.org site, you will find... A multitude of interesting posts that they've made and resources that they've put out for LGBTQ youths. They say who we are, championing, LG- championing LGBTQ issues in K-12 through education since 1990. This has been in the works for quite some time. An inclusive curriculum with comprehensive policies. They're uh, developing supportive educators, which when you get those educators who are throwing pl- pride flags out in the classroom, maybe the GLSEN organization is helping them do that. And if the GLSEN organization is helping them do that, Target is helping them do that. So not only are they selling products that you may not approve of, of course you can ignore these products, go to the other aisles, just you know, turn a blind eye to this. Your money could be going towards organizations that completely hate you and your values. That's why it's important. That's why people are choosing not to shop at Target. That's why people are looking for alternatives. I talk more about alternatives in a recent documentary that I've published with PragerU titled Unwoke Inc. You can check that out at PragerU.com. It's our newest documentary. It's getting a lot of fire right now. Unwoke Inc. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For my listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one, get one free offer with promo code PRAGER. MyPillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listeners square to the buy one, get one free offer. Enter promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. All right. 
right. Good morning. I'm your guest host, Amala Epinobi from PragerU. We just finished up talking about Target. And there's been some interesting responses to conservatives who have been maybe upset about Target's pride collection that they're putting out with the queer t-shirts and the gay jumpsuits and the rainbow baby clothes, all this different stuff. But an interesting response that I saw was a... I believe journalist on MSNBC talking about the Target boycotts, and he referred to it as, quote, literally terrorism. His idea was that this is economic terrorism, and he specifically spoke about, I guess, conservatives who are going into Target stores and talking to the employees about the Pride Collection, saying they don't agree with the Pride Collection. One video that I saw on the internet was of a young man going into Target saying he was going to buy the shirt, then burn it. Now, do I agree with that young man? No. I don't think that's a smart thing to do, because all Target sees when you buy a shirt that you intend to burn is a sale. So that's not going to to work out. But let's let's talk about the terrorism accusation. Now, should you go into a Target store and harass Target employees who are simply there to do their job, who had no hand in picking out this pride collection that is now displayed in their store? Absolutely not. You should not. And I want to make that very clear. But to call that, quote, literally terrorism, end quote, is concerning. It's very reminiscent about, it reminds me of when the parents were heading to school boards to talk about the sexualization of children in some of the kids' books that they were having their kids take home from school, in some of the sex ed that they were having in these classes. And of course, parents were very upset about what they were seeing. They also did this with critical race theory as that was making its rounds through the news and headlines. And when parents showed up, what did the DOJ, the Department of Justice, refer to those parents as in an article put out? Terrorists. Domestic terrorists. So here we go again with that label. And again, this is the importance of language at play here. If you say a lie enough times, it becomes truth. But for me, what this does seeing these MSNBC reporters use the word terrorism, hearing, you know, reading the word terrorism in that paper published by the DOJ, it completely devalues the word for me. If you are going to use it so frivolously and without care so often, you're going to be a boy who cried wolf. When the real terrorism actually occurs, when you actually have something to cry about and talk about, nobody's going to listen to you because you've used the word so often to describe what are natural American citizens having concern for their children, having concern for their minds, and having concern for just the general ideology that's being injected into the soft minds of the American public. Those people are not terrorists. Just want to make that clear. Another person who's probably going to be dragged through the coals for speaking out during this Pride Month is a young woman and swimmer by the name of Paula Scanlon. If you watched the What is a Woman documentary that was put out by Matt Walsh at the Daily Wire, you saw a clip of a young female teammate of Leah Thomas. And for those of you who don't know who Leah Thomas is, Leah Thomas is an NCAA swimmer who once identified as Will Thomas, a male, and now identifies as Leah Thomas and is beating women in all of the races that he now competes against them in. Now, Paula Scanlon was featured in What is a Woman? But anonymously, 
her face was blurred and she was not willing to come forward and show her true identity. She has now come forward and in an interview with Matt Walsh detailed what made her come forward to speak in What is a Woman and where she now stands on the NCAA issue with trans swimmers, particularly trans women, a.k.a. biological males, competing against biological women. Now, she goes through some of the details of how they came to know that Leah Thomas would be competing against them in the pool. Now, they had a meeting at their school where they brought all these female swimmers together in the presence of Will, a.k.a. Leah Thomas, and they essentially told these young girls, this is Will's meeting. He's now going to be competing against you. There's no ifs ands or buts about it this is what's happening this is what you're going to be dealing with and if you need a counselor we'll give you a counselor on your on your way out this is what you're going to be dealing with they didn't allow time for these girls to have any pushback they didn't give them a moment to even say hey i am uncomfortable with this and when they got the inkling at this school that there might have been young women who surprise surprise were shocked by the fact that a young man could now be present in their locker room and compete against them in their competition. When they heard this, they threatened the students not to speak up, telling them that they would regret making a statement about Leah or Will Thomas competing against them in these, uh, in these swim meets. They were told that if they did speak up, Something would happen, they didn't say exactly what, but that was enough to place a state of fear in the minds of all of these young women. But now we have Riley Gaines, who's decided to speak up, who has directly competed against Leah Thomas, and Paula Scanlon, who was on the same team. And there will be more. There's going to be more women who gained the bravery and courage to speak out to show their faces, and to say that this is not okay. Now, when Paula Scanlon tried to go to a publication at her school that said they wanted dissenting opinions on Leah Thomas being able to compete against them, she was told that you cannot refer to being trans as a choice and that she must use the preferred pronouns of Leah Thomas. Now, what use is there in giving a dissenting opinion if you can't actually give the opinion that you hold. So this is what's happening in our institutions of higher education. This is what young women are dealing with. And we went through a period of feminism where we recognize women's, women of victims of patriarchy and sexual assault. Well, welcome to the modern day and age where women can actively be assaulted by what they're seeing in their own locker room by males being able to derobe in these in these locker rooms and in female spaces and they're no longer looked at victims as victims they are the perpetrators i urge you to listen to paula scanlon's interview it's somewhere on twitter go and check it out like i said there will be more women I'm your sit-in host, Amla Benobi from PragerU. We're going to get into talking about this Unwoke Inc. documentary that we've recently released that I feel all of you should watch. But first, I want to take some calls here. Let's hear from George in Westminster, California. Hi, George. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. <laughs> what you calling about today, George? 
Well, I'm, ca- I'm calling about the Associated Press. In the year 2000, the Democrats took the red color that uh, the Associated Press took the red color that was significant for the communists and the left wing and called the Republicans red. And they called the Democrats blue. Oh, wow. My great-grandfather was a Union soldier wearing a blue uniform. And until 2000, the Republicans were blue and the Democrats were red. And then by the stroke of a pen, all the uh, major media started calling us Republicans red. Oh, wow. George, thank you so much for your call. That is very interesting. That is not something that I've heard before, and I will definitely need to research into that further, because if we can substantiate this, that is goes directly to what I was talking about with the Associated Press. For those of you who weren't around when we were talking about that story, the Associated Press has recently put out in their style guide, which is used by journalists, college students, people in high school who are writing essays and articles, they recently put out in their AP style guide that you should not use the term transgenderism because it insinuates that being transgender is an ideology rather than a way of life and a way that people are are born. So they've published this style guide and they are expecting journalists and writers to adhere to the rules that they've written there. Now, people will think, oh, well, it's all fine and dandy. They can say whatever they want. They can make their own rules. And they can. They are capable of doing that and they have done that. But if you have journalists and people who are writing articles and published journals about this stuff and they're adhering to the style guide, which in my personal opinion is a complete deviation from truth, then guess what? The lie is going to become the truth. And if they've done that with the party colors, I wonder what the direct intent was behind that and if they were single-handedly successful in making that happen. That is something I will definitely need to look into. So I really appreciate that call. Uh, Let's hear from Brent in Los Angeles, California. Hi, Brent. Hi, Amelia. You know, thank you so much for this topic. And I was wondering if you could invite post-op AMA trans victims to call in and share with your listeners their stories of sexual joy and orgasmic bliss, which their medical mutilators promised them that they would have. They've all been promised this will be just fine and this is medically sound and it's just nothing but misery from there on out. Yes, Brent, thank you so much for that call. This is an interesting topic that I don't think we uh, dive into enough. One, because it's a particularly sensitive thing for trans people who have gone through this experience to share. And two, because it's an uncomfortable topic, I think, and it forces people to really grapple with what they are endorsing. I don't want to get too in the weeds about these procedures, as I'm sure you all are capable of looking that up on your own, be aware of what you will find because there are some very ah, just vicious pictures of what these experimental surgeries look like. Now, if you are a woman who wants to transition uh, to look and appear more male to the public and you decide to get your private parts created surgically, there is a treatment that you can undergo and a surgery you can undergo called a phalloplasty. Again, look this up with caution because the pictures that you are going to see will be devastating. What it involves is a surgeon 
picking, you can choose your right or your left arm, but taking skin and tissue from the forearm, cutting that off, and using that to create what would now be your male part. It is a brutal procedure. And these parts don't function as they should typically function in nature when a man is born biologically male. And I have, if we don't get people who call in on the show to talk about this, I understand it's a very very touchy subject. I have had two trans individuals on my show, Unapologetic Live, to discuss this at length. We had a two-hour discussion about transgender ideology and some of the lows of having gone through this transitional period. One of the trans people said everything was fine, I had no issues. I I find that very hard to believe, but the other person who I had on, his name is Buck Angel. You can look him up. He identifies as uh, transsexual, has gone through all of the surgeries, and when asked about the complications that happen with medical intervention when you feel this way about your body, was brought to tears. And it was a hard moment to watch. It was a hard moment for him to let the audience know exactly what was happening to him and the multitude of adverse reactions he had throughout this transitional period in his life that he will continue to deal with is astounding and it is not talked about enough you have young people who are seeking out help not procedures but help from medical practitioners about the confusion that they're feeling which is normal for young people to feel and then being pushed down this path of medical intervention that alters their bodies forever They are lifelong medical patients after this happens. For a lot of them, there is no going back, even through detransition, which many are making the choice to do, even through detransition, there are horrific medical procedures that you must go through to get your old body back. And you will never get it back, for the most part, in the same state as when you left it. That's the reality of what these young people are going through, and not just young people, adults you have detransitioning. Adults who even subscribe themselves to transgender ideology but are coming to the forefront to say, guess what, these procedures are not ready. So these are transgender people who are saying, you know what, I still feel as though I'm trans, I still feel as though I was born in the wrong body, but these medical procedures are not ready to take on that feeling and they're not ready to fix that feeling. There's the reality. That's what we're dealing with. And then you have medical practitioners, researchers, scientists who want to dive deeper into these issues and truly get some of the numbers on what we're looking at here. And what happens? They're exiled from their communities and from their scientific research because it does not promote the approved narrative. There is a I believe psychologist or psychiatrist, I I forget, you guys can correct me on that. His name is Ken Zucker, and he was known for treating gender dysphoric children. And his success rate, and by success rate, I mean taking these children down a path of treatment that makes them realize I can accept the body that I was born in, was 70%. So 70% of kids, a psychologist, uh, we've, we've been uh, told, so he's a psychologist. So 70% of these kids that were seeing Ken Zucker were going through this turbulent period, often through puberty, which makes most people uncomfortable, and saying, I feel gender dysphoric, what do I do about it? And he was able at his clinical practice to talk to these kids, get them down a path of treatment that allows them to recognize oh, wow, I was just going through a stage of acute discomfort. 
And it's okay to sit in that discomfort. It's okay to recognize discomfort, which is why if you have a child who's feeling confused, don't invalidate that feeling. Explore the feeling. Let them discuss it and talk about it. Don't blindly affirm and do not blindly deny. These are things that we've all experienced. And if you think about the time that you went through puberty or went through any phase as a young person where you were feeling uncomfortable, wasn't that the end of the world? Wasn't that the worst thing you've ever felt? Wasn't that the end of everything? Of course it was. Because when we're children, our, our scope of where the world can go, where life can take us, is so tiny. And such minute things can truly shift and change our entire world views at that time. So we need to validate children's feelings in this, in that we should allow them to explore it and figure out why they're feeling the discomfort. But don't just blindly affirm an idea that a boy can be a girl or a girl can be a boy, especially when we know that we can bring them to positive outcomes without these medical interventions. It truly shocks me to see people who are just blindly backing this up and saying children just know exactly who they are. Of course, people know who they are and they understand themselves better than often other people do. But that does not mean that they need to swap genders. And that does not mean we have to give in blindly to gender confusion. Again, if you want to hear that two-hour discussion with two trans individuals, it is on my YouTube channel, Amalepinobi, Unapologetic. Check it out there. I promise you will learn something. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Good morning. I'm your sit-in host, Amala Epinobi. We have another call we're going to take here from Colleen in Simi Valley, California. Hello, Colleen. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Great. What you calling for, Colleen? Well, I, too, uh, remember when the Republicans were, the color on television was blue. And uh, one year or two years later, when I was watching the next elections, they were the opposite. And I remember thinking, oh, they've co-opted the color blue. They've taken <laughs> it away from us so that we appear to be reds, so like commies. Oh, and goodness. I was very upset. I told lots of people and nobody, everybody was like, oh, yeah, big deal. And, and my husband was always like, okay, yeah, yeah. But now I'm hearing someone else say it and I'm just jumping up and down happy. <laughs> this is 
great, Colleen. So you've heard somebody else. You know that you know that you're not going crazy over this. Thank you so much for calling. I decided during That's the break it. to uh, to take a detour here and look into this because I wanted to find out was it the Associated Press? How did this happen? Here is an article from the uh, Economic Times, and it says here the party colors red for Republicans and blue for Democrats was not standard until the election of 2000. So nobody needs to feel crazy if they recognize this. So here we are. The colors originally had nothing to do with either party. In 1976, NBC debuted its first color electronic electoral map on air, where bulbs would turn red for Jimmy Carter, uh, one, and uh, who won Democrat states, and blue for Gerald Ford, who won Republican states. So the Democrats were red and the Republicans were blue. This took after the British color scheme, where red would be assigned to the Liberal Party. By the 1980 election, other TV networks had two created their own electoral maps, but each went with their own color schemes. When Republican Ronald Reagan won by a landslide, NBC had the nation showing red, while ABC was showing blue for Republican one states. The colors were mostly designated for ideological or aesthetic reasons that differed from channel to channel. Now, during the 2000 U.S. election between Republican George Bush and Democrat Al Gore, media outlets agreed on using NBC's original color scheme to show blue for the incumbent and red for the challenger to avoid confusion. As Democrats were the incumbent party, they were assigned blue, while Republicans were assigned red as the challengers. This was again the norm in the 2004 election, and the colors became synonymous with Democrat states and Republican states and have remained as such to date. Interesting. So there was clearly a a switch, which is why many of you probably recognize having seen blue for Republicans and red for Democrats in the past. Now, was this done to an ideological end? I have no idea. It could be likely that there were people at NBC who said, you know what, Uh, we want red to be associated with the Republicans due to its association with socialism and communism throughout the Cold War. You all remember the red scare. So that's probably the very last thing that Republicans wanted to be associated with at the time and thereafter. But now they are the red party with the red states and Democrats are the blue party with the blue states. So we've learned something. (laughs) What an interesting time. I'm glad that you called in and, and brought that up. And we've had a few people who shared that experience. Now, We're going to move on here and talk about another topic. If you'd like to call in, the number is 1-8-Prager-776. That's 1-8-Prager-776. There's been a lot of turmoil. And if you have young kids right now, you've probably heard about this. It's with the new Little Mermaid movie that has come out that Disney has made yet another live-action remake that nobody has asked for. And there are many more on the way. I know you're all very excited and you were waiting to hear what the next one was going to be. They are coming. But the Little Mermaid was put out and, of course, criticized for the race swapping that took place. The white Ariel, who we saw in the original 1989 film, has been replaced with Halle Bailey, who is a black woman who now takes on the role of Princess Ariel. I decided, okay, I know how I feel about the race swapping. I think it's better that we just create uh, black stories for black characters and put those out. A lot of people said, 
Ariel's just a mermaid. Who cares? I understand that argument as well. I wanted to know if the the movie was going to be more woke than just the race swapping. So I decided to watch the original 1989 and watch the new Little Mermaid. And I will say, I was pleasantly surprised. It was not the worst thing in the world, which is saying a lot for Disney live-action remakes these days. It was not the worst thing in the world. Halle Bailey, the black woman who plays Ariel, I will say had stunning vocals throughout the show. There's nobody that can deny that young woman's talent, and it's very unfortunate that Disney placed her in the position of race-swapping this character. Rather than writing a new story that featured a black princess and having her play the role, because now her talent is entangled in all of this controversy based on Disney's choice to be adherent to diversity quotas and forced representation. What's interesting, and you may remember from the original Little Mermaid film, is that King Triton has his daughters of the sea, and they're all of Ariel's sisters, and they they show up throughout the movie. In this movie... King Triton has multiple daughters, and he has a daughter of every single race. Now, I am not kidding you guys. He has a daughter of every single race. He has Ariel, he's got a white daughter, an Asian daughter, an Indian daughter, and then this African daughter who's much darker than Ariel. And I found myself wondering, how is this possible? Are we are we saying that King Triton is polyamorous and he's created all of these daughters of different races? But the way that this movie substantiates his claim to having daughters of different races is that they are meant to represent the different seas in which the daughters were had, I guess, all from the same woman. So a miraculous mermaid <laughs> has created daughters of all, all different races, which I thought was interesting. Outside of that, there were a few other changes. You'll remember in the original 1989 version of The Little Mermaid, Ariel is at the end of the movie saved by Prince Eric, who drives his ship into Ursula's chest. I hope I'm not spoiling that movie. You've had over 20 years to watch it, so you can't be mad at me. <laughs> he drives his ma- massive ship into uh, Ursula's chest, and Ursula is defeated. But we couldn't have that in the modern remaking of this film because a woman always saves herself. There is no longer a damsel in distress. And Ariel saves Eric on two occasions throughout this movie, which I found to be interesting. They also swapped out some lyrics. There is a lyric that the evil sea witch, Ursula, sings to Ariel upon taking her voice from her and stealing that from her and saying... You know, body language will get you through it. Men don't like a lot of chatter. They avoid it when they can. If you're a woman who's demure and doesn't speak that much, he'll love you all the better for it. And they've removed these lyrics because they, I guess, didn't want young women to hear that men want somebody who's demure and quiet. What they've forgotten is the context of Ursula being an evil witch. She's lying to Ariel. Men want a woman with personality. I think we all can acknowledge that. So there were a few changes in this Little Mermaid remake that I was not too fond of, but overall, I'll say it again, it wasn't the worst thing that Disney's created. So check it out, but I myself, I did enjoy myself, but I'll be sticking to the original 1989 version. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. You can check out my Little Mermaid review on my YouTube channel, Unapologetic Life. I'm your sit-in host, Amala Epinobi. 
I came across a video on Twitter recently that was just so interesting for me to watch, and it sparked a lot of contemplation. It's a young woman and a young liberal woman sitting in her car talking about a problem that she is facing in dating because she wants a traditional man who is chivalrous and opens the door and provides, but she's running into a problem. Let's hear it from her. Do you want to know one of the saddest realizations I recently had? was that as a liberal woman, it is really hard to find a man who is willing to play the more traditional masculine role in the relationship in today's day and age. Who is not a conservative? A man who wants to pay on the first date, who wants to open your door, who has that want and desire to take care of you and to provide. Who is not a conservative? And obviously as a liberal woman, I do want to be respected for my independence. And I do want to have my own autonomy in the relationship and not be confined or conform to the traditional female homemaker, childbearing role. And most of the men that I've dated who do have that more natural provider masculinity about them are normally conservative. So I don't really know what to do because I don't want to compromise my morals and values just to find a man. But am I asking to have my cake and eat it too? You know what? There's some introspection happening there, and I applaud it. She does at least ask herself at the end, am I asking to have my cake and eat it too? Now, will I grant that there are liberal men running around out there that would be willing to provide and open the door and, you know, place their jacket in the rain puddle when you're walking across the street? I'm sure they do exist. You might be a little bit harder pressed to find them when compared to conservative men, but she she gets into an idea that I think a lot of liberal women have, and it's a caricature that they have of conservative men, that if you are a conservative man, you must uh, think that women should be relegated to being in the kitchen and cooking and cleaning and, uh, you know, bearing children, barefoot and pregnant, running around the house, and that is your only view that you subscribe to women. And this stereotype that she has is, of course, based on a caricature of conservative men. I'll tell you, all of the conservative men that I know have girlfriends and, and and wives and those girlfriends and wives are pursuing their own passions and their own interests and they are in fact autonomous beings with their own mind and independence and the conservative men that I know appreciate that so it must be that this young woman is just getting this stereotype I think enforced and she even says in this video she doesn't want a Republican which means what she's going through is meeting men who are meeting her social standards, right? They're doing the right thing. They're providing, they're protecting, they're taking care of her. She's gone on dates with them, so I'm sure they're, they're good conversationalists. But what she can't deal with is being in a relationship with somebody who does not share her very same political opinion, which is just a sign of the times, I think. Never has political division been more pervasive than it feels uh, it is today. And... I remember knowing couples that were dating who didn't share the same political party, and that was in fact a fun thing from them. It, it added a dynamic to their relationship wherein when they were watching the news, they could have discussions and, you know, go tit for tat over different 
political arguments because the political arguments weren't the end all be all for your morality and your value as a human being. But now more so than ever, it feels as though if somebody disagrees with you politically, they are not a good person. They have no moral value. You should not be friends with them. And I see this more so, if I'm being honest, on the liberal end of the spectrum and on the leftist end of the spectrum than I do on the conservative side. Being a conservative does not mean that you have bad morals. In fact, I think the bulk of the conundrum that she's going to face here is that the reason that a lot of these men treat her so well and are protecting and providing and doing the chivalrous thing is because their politics and morality informs their way of life and their lifestyle. Whereas with liberal men, where she can't find the protection, she can't find the providing, their way of life is also informing their lifestyle. There's a correlation there. And if she's failing to recognize the correlation, then maybe her dating is not going to be all that successful. Because conservative protectors, providers, often comes with a conservative viewpoint and philosophy when it comes to their way of life. We'll talk about this a little bit more, but I found that to be so interesting, that liberal women are having trouble finding a conservative man. <laughs> I think it's a problem she's going to continue to face, unfortunately. But best of luck to her. I hope she has more realizations in the future. And we'll talk more in depth about this in the next section. Good morning, everybody. I'm your sitting host, Amal Epinobi from PragerU. And we're getting in my final hour here. If you'd like to check out more of what I have to say... You can type in Omelepinobi on YouTube or check out my show on Apologetic Live at PragerU.com. I happen to be biracial. I have a black dad and a white mom, and that becomes pivotal to my story in my youth when I was convinced of the systemic oppression that America was going to place upon me. Hold me down under the thumb of the white man <laughs> is what I was convinced of, and this narrative continues. We uh, love to talk about systemic racism in America and particularly the systemic racism that affects people of color. I watched a recent interview and conversation between Senator Tim Scott and Sonny Hostin of The View, where they discussed this at length on the show, went back and forth, had a little bit of a debate, and I wanted you all to hear this clip where they go back and forth. Let's hear it. You have indicated that you don't believe in systemic racism. What is your definition of systemic racism? Let me ask, answer the uh, question that you've answered. Does it ex or does it even exist yeah. in your mind? Let me, let me uh, answer the question this way. One of the things that I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive disgusting message to send to our young people today that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, uh, I can't imagine. But, but, I can't but it is. But it's not, actually. Here's, here's, it's been here's 114 my, years. Yeah, so, so the fact of the matter is we've had an African-American president, African-American uh, vice president. We've had two African-Americans to be secretaries of the state. Uh, in my home city, uh, the police chief is an African-American who's now running for mayor. The head of the Highway Patrol for South Carolina is an African-American. Still in exceptions. 19, in 1975, um, there was about 15% employment in the African-American community for the first time in the history of the country. It's under 5%. 40% higher than 
homelessness and 50 of African Americans get 13% of the folks get, in our community get 13 make, oh, of the I, population. You have a chance to ask the question. I know that I've watched you on the show that you like people to be deferential and respectful, so I'm going to do the that same thing. That is true. So here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest that the fact of the matter is that progress in America is palpable. It can be measured in generations. I look back at the fact that my grandfather, born in 1921 in Sally, South Carolina, when he was on a on a sidewalk, a white person was coming, he had to step off and not make eye contact. That man believed then, with some doubt now, in the goodness of America, because he believed in having faith in God, mm -hmm. faith in himself, and faith in what the future could hold for his kids, would unleash opportunities in ways that you, you cannot imagine. Every kid today can look just change the stations and see how much progress has been made in this country. ABC, NBC, CBS, ESPN, CNN, Fox News all have African-American and Hispanic hosts. So what I'm suggesting is that the yesterday's exception is today's rule. And for us to so suggest... America has met its promise. No, of course. The, the concept of America is that we are going to become a more perfect union. But in fact, the challenges that we face... 50 years ago and 60 years ago should not be the same challenges that we face today. And here's the way that you, you measured that. When my mother was born, about 10% of African Americans got a high school degree, wow. diploma. Today it's over 90%. When you look at the income, when you look at the income success that That's we've had. That's HBCU stat. Well, listen, HBCU stat is a good okay. one because one of the reasons <laughs> why I took the funding for HBCUs to the highest level in the history of the country and then I helped make it permanent is because I believe that education is the closest thing to magic in America. So I'm about making sure that our kids have as many opportunities to succeed as possible. It's one of the reasons why. I need I an opportunity to well, succeed because I have to go to Britain. Oh, they're they're big we have more time, though. They're big. They're, <laughs> we have more time. I'm just getting started. I People can see the success that I've had. <laughs> oh, we'll be right oh, back. Okay. I'm sorry. What a clip. Wow. What a clip. Interesting conversation. And it's so... It's even more interesting when you take a bird's eye view and look at the women who are sitting on that panel at The View. This is a, a diverse, by their own metrics of diverse, which is nothing more than skin color. This is a diverse group of women who are sitting there having this conversation about systemic racism on a national platform. That's what we're dealing with. And when you listen to the rapport between Tim Scott and Sonny Hostin, who's having the majority of the argument with him there. There are just interesting dynamics at play and interesting personalities at play. Now, Tim Scott is currently running for president. I am not giving out any endorsements. I just want to talk about what he has stated in this video. Tim views the world from an internal locus of control. He believes, and you can see through the way that he speaks, at least in this small clip, I'm not going to speak to anything outside of this small clip, that his locus of control comes from within himself, how he views the world, his personal mindset, which he speaks to at many times, the, the belief that progress is palpable if you only open your eyes to the possibility and opportunity to see it. Well, 
Sunny Hostin clearly has an external locus of control. She is looking externally for people to tell her how to view the world. She is looking externally for solutions to her personal problems that she views within the world. And you hear this in this negative mindset that she puts forward. America, America has not fulfilled its promise. The black people who are successful now are the exception. And it's just what a horrible way to to view the world. And maybe she needs some introspection and looking into herself and how popular she has become as a woman of color that she currently sits on a national television show to espouse these views. It blows my mind when people cannot accept that a great amount of progress has been made in this country. How is it that you can look at America now, the melting pot that this country is, that is full of diversity, true diversity, which is diversity of thought, opinion, feelings, morals, values, and their superficial diversity of skin color and sexuality and all of these different things. Both of those exist in tandem in this country and in a very beautiful way. Of course, we're dealing with a lot of division right now. But if those people who are constantly looking at this world as some sort of systemic oppressor were able for two seconds to step outside of it and truly recognize and acknowledge the progress that has been made, I think they'd have a much better view of the world. It's this sort of fatalistic view that that makes you depressed, it makes you anxious, it makes you constantly in the search for injustice and oppression. And at every point when Tim Scott in this video tries to let her know, look at the amount of progress we've made. It should have been responded to with cheers and applauds from the from the crowd we we should have been able to look at that and go wow what a wonderful thing i actually am glad that we've been able to make such progress instead sunny hostin is in this constant mind cycle of how can I debunk what he's saying right now? How can I invalidate, invalidate the progress that he is speaking to right now? How can I convince both myself, himself, and the audience that we are still in a period of oppression that will continue in this country based on the foundations on which it was built? That's how her mind is working. She's not there to be open, to be possibly convinced, or to at least entertain another set of ideas. She comes having known where she wants the conversation to lead and what end she wants the audience to leave with. And that's truly unfortunate when you are in such a wonderful position as one of the hosts on a show like this to truly entertain difficult ideas for people to grasp or uncomfortable ideas for people to grasp or to challenge modern day narratives. That's not what people do now on television. They have no interest in challenging the modern narrative. They just have interest in upholding it. But I am delighted to see conversations like this being had. At least they entertained him enough so that he could get that point out and that maybe other people will be able to see this clip, hear what he has to say, and look at his story of success and realize that it does not need to be viewed as an exception. What a demeaning way to view people of color in this country, that when you see somebody who's, who's successful, you view them as an exception to some sort of rule within the culture or in the community. How demeaning that is. But yet, 
we feed into it because it helps our ultimate interest, right? If your ultimate interest is to have a crutch that you can constantly rely on uh, and, and blame for your shortcomings, then racism and homophobia and transphobia and systemic oppression will become that crutch because one, it is invisible and hard to prove and you can just point to it, make the claim and people will believe it. You'll notice the audience didn't clap for what Tim Scott had to say. They clapped for the ending of that conversation. They clapped for Sonny Hostin. They clapped for Whoopi Goldberg, who are diverse women sitting on this panel. But I'm glad somebody got to hear that message, and hopefully it sticks for at least one person. Amala Epinobi. Recently, I believe yesterday, Apple put out a new update for where it is moving with its products, and an interesting piece of technology was revealed, and it is called Apple Vision Pro. I want to paint a picture for you all about what this looks like. It is essentially a headset. It's a set of goggles that you can now place over your face, and it creates what we will call an augmented reality. So you'll be able to see features of your room, but in sort of this virtual reality landscape. And on your eyes, through these goggles, you'll have in front of you a screen where you can access your apps, your messages. You can watch movies through Hulu and Netflix and Disney Plus and even FaceTime people through these goggles. Now, if somebody walks into the room that you're in, the goggles will go clear so that the people can see your eyes through the screen and you can interact with them and eventually they will show up in your field of vision as they appear there. This is a new product that is apparently going to be sold by Apple in 2024 and it's retailing for about $3,500. That's how much you'll have to pay to be able to step into a new reality and a new form of screen. Now, many saw this, and there was a crowd of young tech bros and girls watching these announcements, and they were clapping and cheering and in awe of how interesting and fascinating this new development is. And I will say, I was in awe. It is shocking to see a product like this that is going to be out on the market. I think it's an improvement on what Google Glass thought that it was going to be. If you'll remember, Google tried to release a set of glasses where you could look at the screen through them and all of this different stuff. And now Apple is doing exactly that with Apple Vision Pro. I would try these maybe once to see what the experience is like. I'm just fascinated by the fact that this is a real product that is going to exist next year. Do I want to own this and have this be a part of my life and an attachment to my being? Absolutely not. I might... Terror is an, is an exaggerated word to use when I, when I saw this, but I was certainly shocked at the amount of people that are excited to put a set of goggles that now functions as a screen on their face. This is the world that we're living in right now. I'd much rather be as directly connected to reality and the real world and the tangible, natural world. I'd much rather be connected to that than connected to some sort of virtual reality. But I imagine people do want this form of 
escapism and they do want to be able to just constantly have a screen right in front of their face and to be directly hooked in into everything it it is that they're doing on technology we talk about ipad kids that's the term we have now for young children who are raised in a world of technology and parents who hand it off to them in order to have a bit of comfort for themselves and have convenience and just distract their kid with technology. Imagine now if you can just strap these goggles on their face and your kid can live in virtual reality and look at all their apps and videos and kids shows right directly in front of their face. There's so many ways in which this goes wrong. (laughs) So many ways. Psychologically, we're experiencing an epidemic of people who are completely addicted and doped out on technology, and this is going to make it far easier for those people to do that, which I guess would be their, their free choice, so that, that is freedom at play. But we're dealing with it psychologically, we're dealing with the effects of blue light on the human health and, and wellness. We're dealing with just constant dopamine hits from technology and that essentially frying our brains. We're dealing with a lack of human connection. We have some of the highest rates of loneliness, depression, anxiety, and I can't imagine that being connected in this face mask Apple Vision Pro is going to help that feeling. But maybe I'm overreacting. Do I sound like a super old 22-year-old's? Do I sound like a boomer right now? (laughs) Or is there room for genuine concern when products like this are being created? I'm reminded of that movie Ready Player One, where the entire world is just living in this sort of slum, favela type situation, and people are just connecting to virtual reality to feel something and to escape and to live in some sort of augmented reality where they can live in fantasy and be something else. And while that might be intriguing to some, or or at least have you know this momentary intrigue towards those things what happens when these are implemented in a society where people run to them instead of facing their problems or prefer it to actual reality i'm optimi- i'm optimistic in that i think most human beings need other human connection and that in a world of ai and apple vision pro and you know vr headsets People will always want the human touch. They will always want real human emotion. They will always want real human conversation. I just hope that doesn't degrade over time. It's sort of similar to what we talked about with language. You can tell a lie enough that it becomes truth. And what happens when you do that with actual reality? When you make a virtual world more appealing than the real world and you make it a form of escapism that is so readily available to the masses and mix it with all of the division and trouble and horrible news stories of the modern day, maybe people will run to sit behind this. As of late, it's not even out yet. comes out next year, and it's essentially just a phone that is now sitting directly in front of your eyes. (laughs) So I'm just talking about us being on the precipice of greater innovation in this world. This is step one, so maybe I am overreacting, but... People create these things because they have a broader vision for what we can do with this sort of technology. 
There are many uh, in the tech world right now that are sounding the alarm on AI and saying that this needs to be a highly regulated facet of our society because they are truly dealing with something that you can't even fathom how far it can go, the things that it can drum up, the human condition that it could possibly imitate and copy in a way that would be imperceptible to us. So if those people, the people who are dealing with the technology itself in creating that world are sounding an alarm off and warning us about it, should we listen maybe? (laughs) Should our ears perk up? Or do you have better things to worry about? Are there more pressing matters? (laughs) I'm sure there are. We, We live in a world of conundrums, so there's always something higher on the list of priorities. But this was not an update that I expected from Apple, and at least not this soon. For health reasons, I'm avoiding this. For humanitarian reasons, I'm avoiding this. (laughs) And, you know, if one of you buys this and you try it out, you let me know how that is. $3,500. That's a lot of money. That's mortgage payments for for some of y'all. I don't have a mortgage payment yet, but the young people are going to set aside their mortgage payments to buy these Vision Pros. <laughs> I hope you all know that. <laughs> oh, goodness. We'll wait and see. You know, I'll hold off until next year, and we'll see if people truly buy these in mass like I think they are going to. I'll update you guys. Stick around. decided to go on an adventure to find many alternatives to the woke colleges, corporations, sports uh, teams, all these different things that we can indulge in to support people who support our values. And I documented all of this in a new short documentary on PragerU.com titled Unwoke Inc. That is Unwoke Inc. at PragerU.com. There are some very interesting people featured in this documentary. One is Michael Ferris, who started the Patrick Henry College that really is rivaling a lot of major universities right now and focuses on an unwoke education where you can actively explore different opinions and feelings that you have, where they encourage free and healthy debate, the Socratic method, and allow students to actually have conversations that are on their minds rather than making them self-censor to meet the needs of their professor or the institution itself. So he's featured. We featured Amanda Ensing, who is a beauty influencer that was very popular on YouTube and every social media platform, still is to this day. But upon letting her audience know that she was in support of Donald Trump during his election, she was canceled by Sephora, a major beauty brand in this country that was at one time partnered with her. They canceled their partnership and people went wild over the fact that she had simply stated which presidential presidential candidate she was going to support. So now she's decided to start her own beauty brand that is rivaling these other woke companies that are virtue signaling throughout Pride Month and BLM and all of this different stuff. Jonathan Isaac of the Orlando Magic in the NBA is featured in this documentary. His story revolves around 
this Black Lives Matter movement that drove through the NBA and was all over ESPN, the NFL indulged in it as well, where during the national anthem, all of his teammates decided to kneel. He was the singular person to stand, and now he's creating his own sports apparel company. Jeremy Boring, the CEO of Daily Wire and the creator of Jeremy's Razors and Jeremy's Chocolates is featured in the film, as well as Vivek Ramaswamy, who is now running for president, although we don't endorse him throughout this documentary. We just have him walk us through the history of woke and his own definition of woke. So you can check out that project, which I think is really pivotal to the times we're in right now by going to PragerU.com, and it sort of outlines this perpetual struggle that we're in to find people to fight the fight for us and to find people to support while we're in this fight. And I know it's at the top of many people's mind. They don't know where to shop. They don't know who to turn to. And this documentary, I hope, alleviates some of that worry. Now, I would like to take a call here, and it is from Mike in Rochester, New York. You were, I know you rhetorically were asking if you were overreacting on that last segment, and I just, I was compelled to call um, to tell you you're not. The surprising thing is, you know, the same reason Dennis loves you is be, you have a very old soul to have the intuitiveness of you, the way human beings are, which you know Dennis talks about all the time, mm-hmm. to have that wisdom at such a young age. Um, you, you, you know, you got to look at humans and their face value of it, and and uh, to to be able to see that at your age is is extremely uh, gratifying to hear somebody. Not to mention you you have your emotions in check. You speak plainly. You don't get over excited about stuff, which you know a lot of young girls do these days. And that's the wisdom <laughs> you got at twenty two. I want you to meet my twenty two year old son. He just got out of the Marines. Uh, <laughs> and he's uh, he's he's an an amazingly smart human being as well, and sees the world for what it is thank you mike i for the sake of time i'm gonna bring you back in the next segment mike i'm gonna bring you back (laughs) for me all right we're gonna bring mike back on sorry we got cut there at the end of the last segment hi mike hello julia (laughs) i'll let you continue where were where'd we leave off oh i was complimenting you on your wisdom and all your (laughs) Oh, well, please, go on. (laughs) You know, one of the other things you had said, I think, in the previous segment, you mentioned you're not religious, and I I kind of find that, I found that a little profound, because obviously, uh, I'm sympathetical with Dennis, my relationship or wisdom-based, your morality, uh, the, the way you view humans as being flawed, and you have to look in the mirror first before you start judging judging other people but Mm -hmm. at the same time it's like the the fact that you're not you're not involved with faith or you have maybe have a personal relationship i'm not a bible suffer but i was just curious how you manage to how you manage to look at human beings and not have like some form of compass where where you know god speaking to you and says you know i i I tried to make in my image but you're all screwed up and you're gonna have to figure it out on your own (laughs) it's uh yeah. It's interesting at 22 that you, you managed to do that. It's, it's, it's to me, I, that's, you know, um, I was just curious. At what point? I, I think Dennis has even asked you a couple of times. I mean, at what point do you like the light bulb went off? You may have mentioned in the past that your biogra- biographical background, mm-hmm. how you just woke up one day and decided that things are not what you were told, and you started seeing things for what they are. But you kind of have 
there's a certain amount of intuitiveness that you have to be born with to just turn that switch like that. Yeah, well, thank you, Mike. Thank you for your call and for that question. There was a lot of things going on. I, I, people often hear the story and think, oh, the, you're very intuitive and you caught on to something. I fought it harder than anybody's ever fought anything. I did not want to come to the realization that I eventually came to. I really wanted to keep the ideology that I had had my entire life. And what happened really was that I had gone on a search for answers to reinforce what I had believed and had to confront the fact that I couldn't find things to back up what I was saying. I was in a really unique position of working for the left at the time. So I was running around, door knocking, telling people how they should vote, educating young people about leftist politics, and I was getting asked a lot of questions, which more often than not, people are not confronted with the crux of their own ideology and the questions behind why people disagree with them. But I was confronted with that on a daily basis and had to face it. So I went to have those questions answered. And like most young people do, went to the internet to find those answers and could not find them. (laughs) I just could not find backing. I was turning corners, going through websites, watching uh, an abundance of videos and I managed to stumble upon really great minds. Of course, I stumbled across Dennis. I stumbled across Tom Sowell, who changed my life forever upon hearing some of the words that he had to say. Dave Rubin, who is now a good friend of mine, which just rocks my world. Larry Elder. And when you're confronted with people who are saying these things... At first, you want to bite down and you want to fight it, and I did that for quite some time, but eventually I just had to let it go. And it came to the point where I was going into work at this left-leaning organization and grimacing at some of the things that I was hearing. Because it's sort of like, you know, in that movie, The Wizard of Oz, once you see the man behind the curtain, you can't unsee the man behind the curtain. The the light is really stolen from your eyes when it comes to that. And that is what happened to me. So I tried to fight it. I tried to keep working. I just could not. It was causing physical problems for my body to sit in what I thought was not true. And just had to admit that I was wrong. And, you know, the... The context of me admitting I was wrong was, you know, a whirlwind of social media and there was a lot of hate but a lot of support and a a turbulent time it was. (laughs) That's really all I can say. But I came to the realization because I quite literally had no other option with how it was the truth was affecting me physically, mentally, and then having to go into work every day and tell lies to young people who were just like me and make them feel just as miserable as I felt. It just wasn't sustainable. Much like all of this wokeness, when I look at the woke dogma that people are putting out and some of the things that people believe, I'm like, okay, maybe that makes you feel good for now to virtue signal on these things and to feel like you're standing on some sort of moral high ground. But what you believe is just fundamentally at odds with the world and with the human condition and that cannot last so it's either we get to the very end of it i mean the deepest pit of wokeism and people sort of feel the destruction because the world is kind of destroyed in that way or people realize that this is not sustainable and they wake up and 
figure out that this is not the life that they want to lead, a life that's so focused on oppression and injustice. And this is not to say that oppression and injustice do not happen in the world. I fully grant that that is what happens. That is life, and people don't like to hear that. But we can actively fight injustice and oppression and do all of these things without making it the complete center of our world and of who we are. And we can lead beautiful lives that acknowledge progress and relationships and the actual fact that most people do just want to feel understood. They want to feel compassion and they want to feel love for one another. I just cannot imagine living through life as I did in with my prior self constantly feeling so driven by hate and injustice it is not sustainable it is not good for the human psyche it is not good for our minds and the the sad part is watching young people who are enticed by these ideas because it's natural when you are young you want to be radical you want to rebel and you want something of value in a world that is decreasing in value in a lot of ways. We're surrounded by like comforts and cushiness and streaming shows and junk food and all these things that might feel good momentarily, but don't give us anything in the long run. And when you're searching for purpose and value in a world that feels devoid of it, leftism is there for you because it gives you this massive fight that you can take on and it gives you a common enemy and it gives you a group to identify with and a tribe of people who you can constantly complain with and commiserate with and young people love that i loved that as a young person felt good for at least a moment a very fleeting moment it felt good so do not do not fall for the fleeting moment do not fall for the fleeting moment there's a popular lyric that says don't fall in love with the moment and think you're in love with the girl don't fall in love with the moment and think you're in love with this movement and this ideology that is going around right now Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com